Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Back from McAllen, but with more questions than ever. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I don't come back from the border like, oh my gosh, we have to stop this, we have to change that. I come back from the border saying, this is subject, this issue, far bigger than we understand. It is clear to me only one thing from one trip. There's nuance and we don't get it. And we don't get it because we listen to people who tell us we need a wall. You know, it's not a wall, right? I was there. I touched it. It's not a wall. It's a fence because walls don't work. Well, Tony, how dare you? Walls don't work because you can't see through them. You want a fence so you can see who's coming. Well, fences don't work because you get a ladder and people just jump over it. Your stupid fence, your stupid wall. You're so stupid, Republicans. Fences slow people down so you can get more apprehensions. And Border Patrol will tell you that walls, fences, work. It was a fantastic and amazing one-two punch of conversation about the border that makes you realize that there is indeed nuance. You want nuance? My perception of Border Patrol, McAllen, Texas, and I'm not calling them out at all. This was from conversations with the Uber driver, conversations with the other people who were there, conversations with total strangers. This is just the way it is. Everybody stays in their lane and no one gets hurt. I'm sorry, Tony. Did you just say this is just the way it is? If you've got a federal government that won't really do something about it, if you have a federal government that won't put the kind of money that the cartels are willing to put towards it, if you have a federal government that actively works against Border Patrol, doesn't hire enough Border Patrol agents to do the job, and most importantly, won't let Border Patrol agents do the job, what do you think those guys are supposed to do? Those guys are going to do exactly what they can, not going to stretch and wait for their retirement. You think I'm mad at them? You think you should be mad at them? We told them, don't bother. We told them it doesn't matter. They want to do the job, but they're not given the ability to do the job. And even if they had the ability to do the job, do we actually have the money to do the job? Because we do not comprehend the level of dollars that are coming from the cartels to keep this gravy train going. And I'm not just talking about on the Mexico side. I am talking about well within the United States of America. In police departments, in communities, in your neighborhoods. A little taste here and a little taste there and a little taste everywhere. And eventually it's very hard to hate the guy who saves you. Yes, the border takes nuance. 
Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Let me start with some data. Went down with Americans for Prosperity to the border. Spent just just the other day, I was on the Rio Grande in two different spots. Uh, got a briefing from former uh, Representative Myra Flores. Got a briefing from uh, Border Patrol. Got a briefing from the owner of the water station that provides the water to McAllen, Texas, where they have access to the Rio Grande, and they actually have a great system for the water that comes in from the Rio Grande, not because uh, they're trying to keep people out, right, crossing over and then going through. No, no, no. It's to keep the dead bodies from getting sucked up into the water pumps. I sat in the heat, the sun on my head, listening to them. That's the deal. They have built a ramp to allow the largest possible boats necessary from Border Patrol to be able to get into the Rio Grande from their property to be able to uh, go get people. They had to put in concrete barriers. You know those concrete barriers that kind of separate lanes like when they're doing road construction? They they set them up on a, on a ridge. And uh, it's like, why in the world would they set those up on a ridge? Well, what would happen is, is that um, they would... Uh, Send people across and they'd have people on this side who'd be, you know, uh, helping them and collecting drugs and drug money and things like that. And what they would do is if they were being uh, chased, they would literally head to this moment on his property where they would jump off into the river. And whoever survived the crash would grab everything they need to out of the trunk, out of here, out of there, and then head over to the Mexico side and be done. By the way, I could have gotten from the U.S. side to the Mexico side, me. I could have swam that in about 48 seconds. That's how easy it is. It's super easy. And so they put in these giant barriers to keep the cars from being able to use part of his property as a freaking launching pad. Like it's an episode of the Duke's a hazard to, to, to stop that from happening. Here are the numbers. These are numbers presented to me by Border Patrol. Now, Border Patrol right now has approximately 20,000 employees. They have discussed more than once that Border Patrol has less members of Border Patrol than the city of New York has police officers. But there are different and varying um, uh, numbers in terms of what it is Border Patrol actually needs. Is it people or is it technology? More than one person explained that Border Patrol has ancient technology in terms of being able to survey areas because some spots you're not going to build a wall. It's not necessary. A wall, a fence, whatever you want to call it. You want sensor technology because some of these areas are so arid, so barren. There's just there's nothing there. It's just not a place that's of natural movement. So you can do it with sensors. You can agree or disagree with that. The point is the technology they have is from the 90s. The technology the cartels have clearly comes from China. And oh, by the way, I saw with my own eyes grown Chinese men looking for um, assistance from charitable organizations. Saw it with my own eyes. Saw it with my own eyes.
There's 2,000 miles of southern border, and I was in uh, the Rio Grande Valley sector. So that's where McAllen, Texas is. There are 20 sectors, 150 stations in, in the U.S. Um, the Rio Grande Valley has 34 counties in it. 34,000 square miles, 277 of river miles, yet 317 coastal miles. People forget that the Rio Grande is moving. It's bending everywhere. There was a moment where where we went to where we were south of Mexico. (laughs) The way it bends, uh, we were in the U.S., and Mexico was in front of us. Uh, There was an island, and then there was another outcropping that was Mexico, and then uh, north of that was uh, the U.S., just the way the curvature went. And you have to monitor all those things in all those areas. Crossing too easy. Too easy. How easy? Too easy. So you've got a difference between the uh, river miles and, and, and the coastal miles. So, there, so there's that. In... Fiscal year, um, 2021, there were 549,000 apprehensions. Fiscal year 22 was 469,000. So far this year, it's 155,000. Apprehensions are up. In fiscal year 22, and this is just the McAllen sector, mind you. In fiscal year 22, there were 76,000. That, was it 76,000? Or was it, no, 76. It was 76 unaccompanied minors. So far, fiscal year 23, it's 31. In fiscal year 22, they found 299 stash houses. You wouldn't be caught dead in a stash house. No, wait, that's the only way you can be caught in a, in a, in a stash house. Where they hold people until they're ready to bring them across. Houses that have uh, no air conditioning, houses that have barely a bathroom, conditions of, of course, the third world. 299 of them were found in 22, in 23, so far, 95. At McAllen Station this year, 163 gang apprehensions, 69,000 apprehensions total, 35,000 single adults, 33,000 family units and unaccompanied minors. Chinese nationals, 2,104. Now, anybody who doesn't understand that Chinese nationals are being sent over by China to try and flood the U.S. to break the U.S. is a damn fool. But it is that theory that I'm going to get into a little bit later when we talk about some of these families, these women and children, and you ask yourself, how in the world did they make that trek? Because I personally don't believe it's possible that they made that trek. That's not me being rude. That's me being factual. Speaking of factual, allow me to make a correction. And it's a correction we all need to make. We talk a lot about gotaways. Look at all the people who got away. 
It absolutely happens. But the Godaway numbers that we are given are absolutely bunk. And the reason that they are bunk is that they don't comport to the following conversations. Let's argue that the Rio Grande Valley had a hundred gotaways. Let's, let's say that the Rio Grande Valley had 100 gotaways. The question before us is, who is to say that those gotaways, to some percentage, if not 100%, were not then captured somewhere else? The gotaway number does not provide at all a number that can be used with precision. It is a number used by those who want to exploit a number. And I'm going to stop using it. Until they can actually create a scalable model to determine percentages of gotaways. Until we have that, the gotaway number doesn't provide anything. Because it doesn't give a full story. If somebody got away in the Rio Grande Valley sector, but was then picked up in the Laredo sector, which is just next door, did they actually get away? That's a real problem. By the way, the sectors, they're they're very, very large. Now, some places you can imagine, like, for example, there's the Detroit sector. Detroit is uh, the northern border. It's Michigan. It's Ohio. It's Illinois. And it's Indiana. That's called the Detroit sector. The New Orleans sector is Louisiana, straight up through Kentucky, all the way to the edge of Tennessee. Texas has five sectors. And the El Paso sector takes up a fair amount of New Mexico and into uh, part, uh, right there at the border of Arizona. Then there's the Tucson sector and then the Yuma sector, which takes parts of Arizona and into Nevada. Of course, the southern border has more sectors because the southern border has more stations because the southern border needs more help. I wanted to start with a conversation about data. Here is what it is that we were told. While we're being told that we're being, we're, we're able to see, we're looking at them. It is so obvious to anybody who's watching that the Border Patrol guys desperately want to do their job. And nobody will let them. Biden won't let them. Mayorkas won't let them. They know they're losing the battle, by the way. It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they're weak people. It's not that they're unwilling. They are tough and they are willing. We're not. We don't have the money to keep up with the cartels. I had Representative Erin Houchin on my show, and she said we can't keep up with the technology, and I said, stop that. Of course we have better technology. And the answer is yes, we do, but we don't spend it. 
The cartels are outspending the U.S. federal government when it comes to this border, when it comes to moving their drugs, when it comes to the human trafficking, which makes them sweet, sweet cash, by the way. We're going to get more into that. We cannot outspend them. Because we have to spend on lots of things. They only have to spend on one thing. And we have got an entire political party in America. Yes, Democratic Party. That won't spend on guts on the subject. And Border Patrol seems kind of resigned, my words, to, well, we'll do what we can. And we'll get to retirement. You cannot win a fight that way. Then again, you can't win a fight unless you're willing to describe what the fight is. And to do that, it's going to require some nuance. What is it we're actually seeing? Now, today is only the start of this conversation for me. I have a lot more to learn. I have a lot more border to see. But I'm going to start today. I promised I was there and I wanted to break it down. So this was just the start. I've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Oregon has House Bill 3501 being called the Right to Rest Act. I had not heard about this, but in the state of Oregon, I'll believe all things. Like, for example, uh, I understand clearly that places that are run by progressives um, who believe that everything is the fault of you. Um, they, uh, they have more and more to do to ensure that people get the mental health counseling they deserve, regardless of what it does to anybody else around them. That people who have less clearly need to be given things, no matter what it does to somebody who might have more, never once accounting for the reasons. That's why Biden puts together this, this new rule. That says uh, people who have good credit scores, we're going to raise what they pay, the rate they pay on a mortgage to help offset the mortgages for people who don't have as good of a credit score. That's that's true. That's real. That starts in May. And the group most affected Asian-Americans because they have the best credit scores. So let's hear it for the racist Joe Biden. Can I get a little something? Unbelievable. Um, I, I move on, though. The Right to Rest Act states that homeless individuals have a privacy interest and a reasonable expectation of privacy in any property belonging to the person, regardless of whether the property is located in in a public space. Does that mean that a person who is homeless can be on my property if I ask them to move, I'm at fault? It allows homeless individuals to sue for up to $1,000 if they're harassed or told to relocate? That I no longer have private property rights because you decided that somebody who's homeless can be on my property and I don't have a recourse? Anybody who lives in Oregon is out of their minds. Now, is this really what's being said? Well, seems like it's close. I felt pretty safe in McAllen, Texas. I don't think I'd feel so safe in Portland. The NFL draft took place. Winners, losers, what the heck is going to happen to Will Levis? And what kind of Houdini act did the Texans pull? JMV breaks it down with me. He is the sports guru, and it's coming up next.
sometimes it's difficult to figure out who's the best and who's the worst, who had the best draft, who had the worst draft in uh, the NFL draft. I'll tell you this much. Uh, if you were looking for surprises, if you're looking for a little bit of drama, congratulations. You came to the right place. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Money is getting spent, and I'm not just talking about what the Baltimore Ravens did in keeping Lamar Jackson, because I don't think they necessarily had an option. What was it, $187 million in guaranteed money? It's all just nuts. So there he is, the man himself, JMV. From 93.51075, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, I, we should get into the Lamar Jackson thing because there's a there's a great story there. There's a lesson for the idea of whether or not anybody can get full-on guaranteed money and how much the Jalen Hurts contract affected the Lamar Jackson contract. But But walk me through the first two picks of this draft because they're the only two picks that went according to plan. Bryce Young of Alabama going to the Panthers and then C.J. Stroud of Ohio State going to the Texans. Yeah, and then what happened was Houston kind of blew it up a little bit, right? I mean, they really went out and, you know, we've heard this past couple of years about the all chips in with Jim Irsay here in Indy, but I think you saw Houston do just that in this draft last night in the first round because they went out and got, again, arguably the second-best quarterback available in the draft, the C.J. Stroud, while the whole month, Tony, leading up to this draft, everybody maintained nationally that Houston would not select a quarterback. They would go defense. So they go with C.J. Stroud, and then they trade back in and get the best defensive player in the draft, and that is Will Anderson. So you look at the top of the list of things that went right, teams that did well. You start with Houston. You factor in Philadelphia, who just continues to draft Georgia Bulldog defensive players. I mean, you talk about Carter and Smith, two defensive guys that have been outstanding in their careers in Athens, Georgia. Uh, that was huge for Philadelphia in round number one. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in just a second. But, yeah, the Colts, some shockwaves to a well, degree as well with Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I want to. I definitely want to get into that. But you know, you talk about how the Texans blew it up, right? Mm-hmm. If we were to argue, Jam V, who won this draft, is it the Texans by being able to trade up to that number three pick? It was the Cardinals who had that. They dropped down to eventually what is a number six in a whole trade with the Lions, I believe it was, and be able to pick up not only a quarterback for the future in C.J. Stroud but a guy who arguably is either him or Jalen Carter and Will Anderson Jr. as the best defensive player, maybe the best athlete on the entire board. Yeah, Tony, they improved their top 11 yesterday, and that's a big deal. And in terms of you're saying, well, what do you mean about improving the top 11? I'm not talking about the 11 starters. I'm talking about, in this case, you've got um, a team you're looking for defining members of the team in specialty positions, for example. Quarterback is certainly Tony at the top of that list, and so is an edge rusher. This is where the Colts have to get back to because Chris Ballard had consistently over the years talked about the level in which you wanted to get this team in terms of depth. Well, now you sit there, and they don't have a lot of depth, and you sit there and you look at these frontline guys in the most important defining positions, Tony, in the NFL. They really haven't had that covered either. So that was defining for the Texans in getting back on track. I thought they had an excellent draft. And, you know, when we get to the Colts, it could be argued, it'll be criticized. I'm not sure. I found it really hard to have much really issue-wise with what Chris Ballard did and what Shane Steichen did at quarterback well, and going number four overall with Richardson. So let's talk about that. Anthony Richardson right there. Number four 
from the University of Florida going to the Indianapolis Colts. You're talking about a guy who has a season under his belt, 13 games, JMV. Under his belt, 57% uh, with the completions. But he does have 12 touchdowns uh, rushing with over a 1,000 yards on the ground. And as you have described and others have described, uh, this is a generational athletic talent that the new coach, Shane Steichen, and uh, the general manager, Chris Ballard, believe they can develop to be their quarterback of the future. And we should be clear, when it comes to the Colts, their first-round picks as quarterbacks are Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck in yep. this modern era. Uh, they've had some good luck when they get to pick. Well, and they've held the number one overall selection in those examples, too. And this was different. This was a number four. But getting back to both Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen, I think the thing I like the best about this is, to me, it's clear that Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay, even the owner, let Shane Steichen make that final decision. I mean, maybe it wasn't an altogether, hey, this is on him. He's going to make this pick. But I think that he had a little bit more say in exactly Tony, the style of quarterback, the type of quarterback that he wanted to try to bring along. And make no mistake, that's exactly why he got signed to a six-year deal. That's their expectation. At the top of his resume coming from Philly as the offensive coordinator was, he developed quarterbacks at a very high an elite level. Philip Rivers, who was already well down the road, but he, he coached him up. He coached up Justin Herbert at the early stages, and you saw what he did with Jalen Hurts this past year. So that is job number one for Shane Steichen, and I love the fact that it appears that the Colts, Ballard and Ursay, let him have ultimately what he wanted. Let's get back to something else you pointed out. This I, is the best athlete, Tony, in the history of the quarterback position entering the draft. Make no mistake about that. That's a big deal. I don't know if he can play quarterback. I don't think any of us know through 13 games of Florida whether or not he can play quarterback at the NFL level, but he is absolutely the most athletically gifted quarterback to ever enter the NFL. That's what we're looking at with Anthony Richardson. Let me – uh move off that and get some other weird things that took place in, in this draft. And I want to jump it down uh, to the number 12 pick. This was the Colts, uh, not the Colts. I'm sorry. The lions who picked this up and that whole move with Arizona, the whole thing comes from Cleveland, the moves with Arizona and Houston, and they pick up Jameer Gibbs yeah. out of Alabama. And I don't think he was necessarily on anybody's radar this early in the draft, but you watch, uh, the, the, the GM, right. Uh, Brad Holmes, you watch the coach, Dan Campbell, after that pick, you would have thought somebody had brought them cake and ice cream and handed them checks and said, all your wishes have come true. The two happiest guys in America, the lions already have two running backs. What's the point here? Well, I mean, that's how and the style in which Dan Campbell wants to play for one. And getting back to the point you made about being happy and serve cake and all that, all these guys do it. Every draft room, after they make a pick, they act like they got exactly what they want. Now, it's funny, before the draft, it seems like nobody knows anything. Well, I don't know where this team is going in front of us. We're going to have to respond to. We're going to have to let the board talk to us or whatever BS that is. These guys know exactly what's going to be available, exactly what's going to be done, I think. Now, maybe there was a little bit of question at number four as to whether or not Anthony Richardson was going to be there for the Colts. But I maintain that they were in control and knew that. That's why they're so comfortable in staying at number four. But getting back to your Lions point, so you know, they go defense with Campbell and they also go offense at running back uh, with Gibbs. 
I think that's just the way that Dan Campbell wants to play, the head coach. I think that kind of falls in line with what he wants. It sounds like that he had a great deal of input with Holmes, the general manager, and himself about the direction he wanted to continue to take this team. Because you could argue, Tony, you could argue that if you're talking about Will Levis, who was that quarterback that's still on the board in round number two as of right now, you could talk about with Jared Goff as the starter, maybe you should go ahead and start the clock on trying to bring somebody along as a future quarterback. They decided not to do that, and they went running back, and they went linebacker in that draft because I think Dan Campbell, that's the style of which he wants to play. Let's let's talk uh, about it. Talking to JMV from 93.5107.5, the fan in Indianapolis, the voice of sports in the state of Indiana, Will Levis. University of Kentucky. I mean, the the imagery of him sitting there at the draft. Uh, Big Blue Bud on Twitter putting out brutal and unfair, man. Will Levis simply doesn't deserve this. The comeback story is going to go crazy, and it's just pictures of Will Levis just in a state of shock. I, th- I don't know if he's being hugged by his by his mom or, or his girlfriend, whatever the, 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 the case may, may be there. But I got to tell you, JMV, uh, he doesn't get picked in those first four. It's Bryce Young, it's CJ Stroud, it's Anthony Richardson. And all of a sudden, he's on the drop into the second round. Is this a conversation about Will Levis not having the skills and it being all hype? Or is this a conversation about he just didn't fit those first three teams, but he's still an excellent quarterback. There just wasn't a quarterback need like there may have been in other drafts. Tony, you may have seen the dynamic. Let's just say we flip the roles here. Levis goes to the Colts. You may have seen Richardson drop a little bit, but you wouldn't have dropped all the way out in the first round into the second round. I still think that maybe, you know, the Raiders would have taken a shot. Maybe the Buccaneers would have taken a chance, or even maybe somebody would have traded back in at the end of round number one to secure Richardson. That's just the difference between what people believe the upside is, and it's a whole athletic dynamic going on here. But with Levis – I'm going to root for the guy because I think this is something people will suggest that he's a guy that plays off of emotion. He's a guy that wears, you know, all of his thoughts on his sleeve. And when you get undersold in front of America, as he did last night, there is no better motivational chip out there. And then in part, there was supposed an injury to a toe that people were skeptical about, maybe a little bit scared away from. But I would bet on this guy. I'd bet on this guy if he's a selection of round number two, which is an assumption here that he goes someplace and it's going to benefit him to have that motivational chip on his shoulder for the embarrassment that he had to go through last night. And by the way, too, family members or not, the guy was lucky. He was surrounded by nothing but chicks last night, Tony. That's pretty sweet. A family member's girlfriend. Looked like he was in a pretty good no, spot I, for me. He's still going to make a, cash, a boatload of cash. But, yes, for a competitor like that, there's no doubt. It's embarrassing. But I think it's going to do him a service to be even better than people thought because so many people last night passed on him. He's going to want to make these people pay. That's yeah. a great motivational chip that you have going into the NFL, Tony. You, you, you got to assume because I looked at him and I'm like, somebody, you know, he's going to get on a team and somebody's going to try and Ryan Leaf this dude. Some some reporters going to try and get under his skin, try and make him crack, and he all falls apart. He wasn't the number one. He drops. He couldn't handle the pr- – like, that was the look when I saw him. That was the feel I got. But that's that's about me having a bit of disdain for uh, – Well, we, we've been through sport. that before, too. I mean, Aaron Rodgers sat there for a long time. If you remember, Lamar Jackson sat there for a long time in the green room waiting, too. So there are good stories of quarterbacks certainly being very good once they go through that 
into the NFL, and I think that's what's going to happen to Will Levis as well. Right, At least I'm Jimmy. hoping for. Let us break it down. Yeah. Who won this draft? What's the team that walks away the winner? In oh, round- I'll give you two right here, Tony. I think the Texans, we already talked about the Texans a little bit, too, what they did at the very top. I mean, you've got two incredible talents, one the best defensive player in the draft, and uh, the second best quarterback, second best offensive player in the draft is what they got at the very top. That's incredible to me. And, again, what Philadelphia did, Philadelphia's just reloading defensively. They've already got a number of Georgia former defensive Jaylen players. Jalen Carter, man. You get Jalen Carter. Carter. People are like, like that's yeah. something like not a top story. That's a monster guy. Monster guy. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, had some some situations, some red flags arise and that- fell a little bit. Probably would have gone much higher. Maybe would have gone much higher. But the fact they got him and Nolan Smith from Georgia defensively to fortify a defense that's already talented, as talented as anybody else, that is a huge win. That might even be better considering, Tony, where Philly is right now coming off participation to the Super Bowl for them that might even be bigger than ultimately the Houston thing just living in the now with what they did to fortify that defense yeah I'm I'm very much there that what the Texans did in the move up to getting pick three is splash but if we're talking about results it's amazing what you could do in a draft JMB when you already have a quarterback like Jalen Hurts you're already set you're not searching for those pieces you can really fortify now the question is who lost this thing (laughs) <laughs> Who in round one didn't deliver and took the pick that made you say, what the hell is this? Um, Probably, and maybe this is because how you look at the running back position and how devalued Tony it has been over the past decade plus. Maybe B. John Robinson out of Texas going to Atlanta. Was the number a eight. Of a surprise. Yeah, that was a surprise. And, and, and really, this is just me, and I guess an indictment on running backs right now. You brought up uh, Gibbs a little bit earlier. I know that's the style, and I defended that in Dan Campbell, but maybe that wasn't the play either right there. So I think you could argue either the Lions or the Falcons going with running backs. And I can tell you this, Robinson sounds like an absolute gas. He sounds like a dude I can listen to all day long. And in terms of comparisons, he's supposed to be one of the best running backs we have ever seen come out of the draft in the past 10 or so years. So, you know, if he's better than what we have seen in the good days with a guy like Jonathan Taylor here locally – that would be outstanding. But, yeah, I would probably look at the running back position just in terms of value and where you may have, in terms of Detroit, being able to get somebody like Gibbs a little bit later on. I'd probably argue that. Not a lot, though, because they ultimately got what they wanted in the draft, and and that's the criteria here. Uh, before I let you go, man, Lamar Jackson sticking with yeah. the Ravens, that $187 million guaranteed. Um that's still a tremendous amount of money, but the, we've now set the, the, the stage, man. The, the idea of the fully guaranteed contract is over. No one's trying it again. No, no, I don't think so either. But it's going to be something like this. And really, you know, you can't look back on it now. We wonder whether or not he needed representation. And as, you know, it panned out, he didn't need representation. And, and, and Jalen Hurts kind of set the market for him, so he knew exactly where he wanted to go. And then, you know, Eric DaCosta and the company in Baltimore knew exactly where they wanted to go. And we just knew all the time this was ultimately going to get worked out because Baltimore, as you mentioned earlier, and rightly so, just had no other direction to go. And by the way, speaking of the draft, they draft wide receiver on the slot. Very quick, very athletic. Zay Flowers out of Boston College. So that makes the quarterback you just re-up for all that money, feel really good. You bring in Eldell Beckham Jr. 
that has to make him feel really good. This has been a team and a quarterback that has dealt with not a lot of talent at the skill positions at wide receiver in Baltimore. And certainly in the past month or so, and certainly last night, they got a lot. Better and as we're discussing, as we discuss Anthony uh, Richardson, there comes a moment where you can't have yeah. your quarterback just be the mobile quarterback. They got to have places uh, to, to throw the ball. And that's clearly what the Ravens have given uh, Lamar yeah. Jackson. JMV from 93.5, 107.5, the fan. In Indianapolis, always appreciate taking the time to be with us. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Like the articles written about me using he pronouns and calling me a man over and over again. And I I feel like that should be illegal. I, I don't know. That's That's just bad journalism. That is Dylan Mulvaney saying that it should be illegal to call him a man, which he is. Dude needs to have a Bud Light and chill. Who does this dude think he is? Who does this guy think he is telling me how to speak? But there is a never-ending number of people who think they can compel speech. You can argue that it's rude. You can argue that it's mean. I would argue that it's honest. Dylan's lying, and I can see it. So I'm going to say something about it. I know people are going to take different views of I can see it. I'm going to say something about it. And that's all there is to it. I'm not going to be told by this guy I can't speak truth. Dear Lord, who does he think he is? But there's a lot of desperation from the movement because it's starting to crumble in many ways. It's something I'm going to get into in the days and weeks ahead. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today.